Welcome back to the World of Sports Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, John Collard. And I'm your co-host, Braxton Brown, and I can't wait to get into all the stuff that we got to go into this week, so let's get right into it. Let's go, let's go. We got a lot to unravel today. Uh, So today we're going to talk about the Super Bowl coming up this week. That's going to be, you know, big. We're going to talk about Alvin Kamara's recent arrest in Las Vegas. We're going to talk about the Brian Flores situation in the NFL. And we're also going to talk about what's going on in the NBA, particularly with the Brooklyn Nets. So let's get into it. I say, um, I think first, we're going to talk about the Super Bowl. So if y'all noticed um, from last week's or the week before last, we talked about how the Rams and the Bengals are meeting up in the Super Bowl. And honestly, I think it's it's good for the league that these two are ending up in the Super Bowl because it's two teams that you know we we may we may not have expected to be there. You know, they didn't get a lot of hype in the season besides the Rams when they signed you know all the players that they signed. But the Bengals were really like uh, they weren't even in the picture, even thought of about you know, being Super Bowl contenders, uh, you know, playing in the Super Bowl. So I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, you On the Bengals side, you got Jamar Chase and you got Joe Burrow. And on the Rams side, they're just loaded with firepower from Aaron Donald to OBJ to, you know, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, those guys. So, uh, Braxton, what, do you, what are you looking for coming up this weekend? In- um, so I'm looking forward to seeing all the different – uh, star players that's in the game. I mean, it's a lot of notable players that uh, people kind of look forward to seeing. Um, I'm interested in seeing how Joe Burrow is going to come back from his uh, performance from two weeks ago, which was winning the AFC Championship game. And um, I'm interested to see Matt, Matthew uh, Stafford uh, play in this game. I want to see him play in a in a big moment. Um, cause considering his time in, with the lions, you know, he didn't really get many big moments like this and this is the biggest stage of them all. So I'm interested in seeing that. And, uh, I'm, I'm really just hoping that the Bengals, uh, offensive line can give Joe the protection that he needs so that we can actually see a good game. Because if, if they don't do that, I think this could have, uh, it could have very big blowout potential. So I really need them to block for him so we can have the game that we need to have. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Burrow, even though he gets sacked as many times as he does, he never seems rattled. Like, dude got sacked nine times and still found a way to, to pull off a playoff win. But, you know, it's going to be interesting. I don't know how the Rams secondary, who struggled in we- recent weeks, will, you know, hold up against the against Burrow in that passing attack. I don't know how the offensive line is going to hold up against you know, those Aaron Donald and Von Miller, you know, and the rest of those guys up up front. I don't know how that's going to work out. So, it's you know, this game has a lot of question marks. But one thing I know for sure is that Joe Burrow, he doesn't get rattled. And so, for me, I just feel like, you know, Burrow 
it's more calm and collected. I, and I just don't trust the Rams because we've seen the Rams, even though they've had big leads within these playoffs, they just haven't, you know, held up their end of the bargain sometimes, ultimately blowing leads. You know, like we've seen week 18 against the Rams and like we continue to see last week against, I mean, not last week, um, a few weeks ago against Tampa Bay. And but they did a good job of coming back from behind last week and securing a victory. I mean, a few weeks ago and and you know being able to get the victory against um yeah the Rams. I, I think yeah. I think I mean the Forty Nine. Uh, I think in this game it's gonna have a couple swings because if if I had to take my predictions, I would think that the Rams would pretty much start out probably hot because they're in their own building there's they've got you know all of los angeles behind them i think they're gonna start off strong and i I don't think that the Bengals can afford to get off to the start that they got to against kansas city i feel like their defense is gonna have to be uh stout and make sure that they get the stops that they need to get in the first in the first half because if they allow this to get if they allow the Rams to get separation. I know they're known for blowing leads, but I don't think they'll blow a lead in their own home field on the Super Bowl. I just I think that the Bengals need to get off to a good start. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But uh, it's it's a lot of X's and O's that's going to go into this game. Um, a lot of you know, whichever team I feel is the best prepared, that's who's going to win. I don't really think there's a clear favorite, honestly. But if I had to choose, I would take Burrow and the Bengals just from, you know, us witnessing what he did in 2019 firsthand, you know, with our own two eyes, really, literally. So I'm going to take him for that reason. And I'm also going to take the the Bengals because Joe Burrow is 7-0 and must win games dating back to college. So for that reason alone, I got to take the Bengals. All right, but what's, what score are you going to go with for that game? Uh, I think it's going to be a high-scoring affair, honestly. I, I'll say I'll go with – um. I'll say high-scoring, but I, I, I kind of think it's like it's going to be kind of a high-scoring game, but there's going to be some defensive stops in there as well. So I'll go with a, a, a 20, 27-21 victory for the Bengals. Okay, I would say I go a little bit higher than that. I got, ooh, I I want to go. I want to go with the Bengals. Um, yeah, I gotta go with the Bengals. I'll say the Bengals win it in a thirty to twenty-seven score. I think that I think I I'm comfortable with that. I think they'll score thirty, and uh, the Rams will score twenty-seven, and I think. I mean, the theme of this playoffs is everything coming down to the last, uh, the last possession. So I don't think the Super Bowl will be any different. I think that would be a perfect cap to this season and just how great these playoffs have been. All right. So let me ask you this: If the Bengals win, does Joe win Super Bowl MVP, or does it go to somebody like Jamar Chase or Joe Mixon or, you know, T. Higgins might show up and have a good game? So what do you think? Is it Joe Burrow for Super Bowl MVP, or are we thinking about something else? 
Um, I would say in this situation, I think the Super Bowl MVP would probably go to someone like Jamar Chase or maybe some, a member of the defense because if you look at the theme of the other playoff games that Joe's been in, um, it's it's not like he's having dazzling performances. I mean, he's coming back. He came back from like the wins, but it's not like he's just like blowing them out the water or just having big passing numbers and stuff. Like he's he's doing enough to win the games and not be rattled, and that's like his biggest thing right now. So I think maybe somebody like Jamar Chase going off for an insane amount of yards, or maybe a defensive player getting a lot of deflections or maybe some picks or something like that. I think that might be the Super Bowl MVP. I think it's definitely going to be a skilled player on the Bengals side. Now, if the Rams were to win, I think it's definitely going to be on Matt Stafford. Yeah, that's that's the hope for for the uh, the Rams. Matthew Stafford is going to have to lead them to victory, you know, unless their defense gets it done and Aaron Donald has, like, a massive game or Von Miller has a good game. That's the only way I could see any other players getting it, but if we're going to go out of terms of L.A. is going to win this game because of their offense. It's going to be because of Matt Stafford, for sure. But uh, so with that being said, um, would you, how do you feel about the halftime show this year? This is probably one of the most exciting – Halftime, excited I've been for a halftime show in a long time. I think the last time I was this excited for one was probably Super Bowl 50, where it was Beyonce, Coldplay, and Bruno Mars. That was a great halftime performance. But this one, it's, it's going to be great. You know, you got Eminem, you got Dr. Dre heading it on with Mary J. Blige and uh, Kendrick Lamar. I just think this is be this is just this is just gonna be good for the culture. I mean, with hip hop and R and B being two of the biggest genres right now, I think not only is this a chance for those artists to show off their craft, but it's just a big win for the black community, especially during Black History Month. So I, I'm I'm excited for it and I can't wait, honestly. Yeah. Me either. I, I think I think the halftime show is gonna be good this year, uh, with Kendrick Lamar, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige, and Eminem. Uh, I can agree with you in saying that this is probably the most excited I've been about a halftime show because you gotta think about it. We don't have we. I think I'm more excited about this because. You know, it's finally some music I can relate to, you know, music. Like, don't get me wrong, they've had good performances in the past with The weekend and stuff like that, but I can, I feel like I have more of a personal connection to the performance of this year's halftime show versus in previous years. So for that part, I'm excited about, and like you said, um, just for it, you know, being Black History Month and, and those type of things, uh, that I think this is good for the NFL. It is very good for the NFL. Yeah, and I can't, I can't believe I forgot about Snoop Dogg. I'm, I'm probably most excited to see him because I really like the way he makes music, and you know, he's always coming out with the vibes and you know the most notable songs and stuff. So I'm excited about him as well, you know. But uh, and it's in LA, so it's hometown for him. You know, so it's going to be fun. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be a good break from all the action that we hopefully get in this Super Bowl. So I'm excited about that. 
Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, after this, we'll be back to discuss more on the Welcome to the World of Sports podcast. You don't want to miss. Welcome back to the Welcome to the World of Sports podcast. So a big story last week was the situation regarding Brian Flores and his uh, situation with the Miami Dolphins in which it's been, he has filed a lawsuit uh, with them uh, considering the fact that they were paying him to, uh, I guess, take L's. I guess that's the best way to put it in this situation. And uh, it's kind of started a conversation around the league about uh, different coaches being in bad coaching situations. So what do you think most is most important thing that needs to change in, in regards to how coaches are getting positions and what uh, control coaches have over these coaching positions? Honestly, I feel like if we're going to change anything, it would have to start at the top. The league has to do better in making sure that you know, these coaches are being afforded these opportunities, the same opportunities as black, I mean, as white head coaches, black head coaches need to be afforded the same opportunities as white head coaches. It has to start at the top. The league has to get it through to the owners. There's no way, no way. Last Super Bowl, each side, each, each team from each side, there was four, I want to say, Four, three or four coordinators last year from the Super Bowl who didn't even get head coaching jobs. And they were they were all minority black men. And so you think about it and you're like, okay, so where are we going wrong? Because this year, the Rams, the Super Bowl hasn't even been played yet. And the Rams offensive coordinator is all, already a front runner for the Vikings job. So it, it's, it's kind of like you got to dissect it. The league's 70% black. So what do you think? What kind of head coach do you think will appeal to the players more and, you know, the players will, you know, learn a lot from in that time span? And so the league is so based on analytics. Why don't we take out and look at the analytics from this? You know what I'm saying? Because we've had successful black coaches in this league from Tony Dungy to Lovey Smith to Brian Flores, teams that, I mean, coaches that have turned teams around, you know what I'm saying? So I just want to know why aren't black head coaches afforded the same opportunities as white head coaches when statistically they're getting the job done better than these white head coaches are? Yeah, I think this is a very impactful situation because I've always felt like when it comes to minority coaches being selected for positions, it's always been a hesitancy from uh, higher-ups to do that. And I think it's deeply rooted into some systemic things that have been going on in our country just on black men in leadership or any other uh, race in leadership. And I think that, uh, like you said, we, we're an analytics-based league in most leagues around the country nowadays. And so what better person would be better suited to, uh, I guess, coach black players when the league is mostly black? I, I feel I feel you on that sentiment. But uh, I think in, in a lot of these situations, uh, they bring in these black coaches in situations that are very 
just bad. Like I look at the David Cully situation and he got thrown into that job and as soon as we start losing, which was very predictable, we didn't have the talent, and I say we because I'm a Texans fan, but we didn't have the talent, and we had a 4-13 and season. I don't think our uh, lack of success was on his part. I just think we didn't have the necessary pieces. But in the end, he was still fired. Now, I do applaud them for uh, hiring Lovey Smith. He did get that position today. That news broke today. But I think this is something that we have to change in the league, just – period there's no there's no there's no solution to it uh i mean there's no other arguments to it that needs to be fixed period yeah and i understand where you're coming from and in my opinion i feel like the texans only use david cully as a scapegoat but when you look back on it you hired this man to coach off for one season he was never really you know the clear and obvious choice. He wasn't y'all choice that y'all wanted. Y'all bring him in, and he somehow, I don't know how he did it, but he was—he willingly brung four wins to a Texans team that was hot garbage this year. The talent wasn't there. So he brings four wins to you to your team, and you fire him after one year. You don't have—the Texans are an unstable organization, and— you will never find you'll never have success like that until they get it all sorted out. But you know, I I know David Cully's an older guy, but I think he should get another shot at being a head coach just because of what he was able to do in Houston, willing that team to four wins when it looked like they weren't going to win any this year, especially you know without Deshaun Watson. So, uh, I gotta commend him for that, and I I do think that David Cully deserves another head coaching job just because of the marvelous things he did in Houston. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's just a bad situation. I mean, if you look at the last couple of weeks, that team was playing some very inspired football. And uh, I think, I think it's a big deal that he was able to even get those four wins. So I think he should get another job. For sure. But um, as of these other black coaches in the NFL, I'm glad to see that uh, we, and when I say we, I mean, you know, the Saints and the Saints organization is uh, uh, giving Eric Bieniemy a shot to be a head coach by interviewing him. I wouldn't be opposed to that as a Saints fan. And maybe keeping our defensive coordinator Dennis Allen, I wouldn't be opposed to that. But I also wouldn't be opposed to Dennis Allen being the head coach either. Um, if you ask me which one would I want more, of course I'm going to say Bianami because it's about time that he deserves a shot. And I really think that um, the New Orleans front office is in love with offensive head coaches just because we've seen what Sean Payton brought to the team for you know what. Um, how long he was there since 2006 has been 16 years. So um, what he was able to bring to the table as far as being an offensive genius and seeing what Eric Bieniemy has done in Kansas City, I, I just think that it would be best if we hire Eric Bieniemy, but also keep Dennis Allen on staff because he's just did an incredible job with, you know, developing our defense into being one of the top defensive teams in in uh in the league so i i but i'm really pushing for the enemy to become the head coach because i think that he deserves 
Yeah, I agree with you on that for sure. And uh, I think that, you know, the more we look into it, hopefully these black coaches will continue to get more opportunities. But, uh, you know, the league has been like this for a while, and we can only hope for the best at this point. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Something's got to change, and I think Brian Flores' lawsuit is going to play a big part in that, a big, big part. So after this break, we're going to come back and we're going to discuss Alvin Kamara's breaking Vegas arrest and also what's been going on with the Brooklyn Nets and the NBA. What's up, everybody? We're back. So last night, breaking news broke through all the platforms on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, Snapchat. And it was reported that Alvin Kamara, the running back for the New Orleans Saints, was arrested in Vegas just hours after playing in the Pro Bowl. So as details emerged, um, he was booked with battery, resulting in um, sustainably bodily harm. And so we're still awaiting more details on it. But, uh, Brax, what was your first reaction when you seen this? Um, At first, I was just like, I was totally taken aback because I was like, I just seen him playing in the game. Like how, what, what literally could have, uh, I guess trans made this transpire. Um, but I mean, you know, whenever something like this always comes out, I think it's just always kind of bad publicity for the player. Cause you know, it's always, they always like, like to look at, I guess the bad in players anyway. So in situations like this, you're just giving them more things to look at. Uh, but I just hope that whatever situation happened, I hope we get more information on it. And I hope that we can, I guess, figure out, um, yeah, what led to this. And hopefully it wasn't as bad as it seems at this moment. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to, I- I'm ready to see all the details, you know, learn the whole story. But they did come out today with um, some more information. And um, according to ESP, ESPN, it says that um, video evidence supports the battery allegations against Adam Kamara, according to the police report. But once again, we don't know the whole details. You know, maybe he was provoked, you know, maybe – it, you know, it could always have been self-defense. We haven't seen the video, so we don't know that yet. But um, I just hope that it all gets sorted out because he's in, he's a hell of a football player on the field. And I honestly think that he's a good guy off the field. It was just like maybe wrong place, wrong time type of thing, type of deal. But I think he's going to get it all um, straightened out and maybe serve maybe a couple games with suspension. But I think it's going to be okay for him. Yeah. And to piggyback off what you're saying, uh, in situations like this, I mean, I know they say it happened, I believe, in a nightclub or something of that nature. Uh, you know, we if he was provoked, we never do hear the um, – we never do hear the side – of the player so in most cases we just always see what happened 
you know, we in, in this case is video evidence. So, you know, we'll probably see, we hopefully can see what happened before that. But in most cases, we only see the reaction of the player. And since he's the big name player, you know, the headline's going to say whatever he, uh, whatever he did. But, um, and, and another thought, uh, I also think that in situations like these, um, we've never seen, I guess, Kamara put on any, uh, like any bad press or know him to be a bad guy. So I just, I would like to believe that he was provoked, but if he in fact just did this based off some, some maybe, you know, words being said or something like that, then I think, you know, he has to be held accountable for that. And, you know, that's just an unfortunate situation because he is a hell of a player, like you said. Yeah, for sure. Um, I can't wait to see what happens. But like you said, there's always two sides to every story. So I wish him the best. Um, but, I, you know, depending on the circumstances, I think the most he he's going to get um, – you know, as far as punishment, it's maybe a couple games of he got to serve for suspension. But um, hopefully, I think I just hope that he gets it all sorted out, sorted out, and uh, he'll be ready to go once the season starts because uh, we need him for sure. We need him. Yeah, you definitely want, don't want to start off uh, your first couple games without him because he's a big part of your offense. So yeah, yeah, for sure. But for sure, moving on from that. Uh, so now we want to get into the situation going on with the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, as you know, it's headline after headline, just some different story coming out of that Nets organization about what's going on and what reasons as to why this player isn't playing for this game or why someone isn't vaccinated. I ain't going to name no names, Kyrie, but, you know, it's just it's just every every time we look up, it's a it's a headline about something that's going on. So. And then more recently, we've heard reports about Harden um, being unhappy about where he is, just in the city in general. But uh, I think I wanted to know from your perspective, do you think that this is probably the last year that these three players will be together? Um, That's my fault, bro. That's my fault. Um, But honestly... I do think this is the last year just because they've had two years to try to figure this thing out and it hasn't happened yet. And I think Harden is at that stage in his career where it's ringing a a bus for him. So he's trying to do everything possible to win a ring. He thought that joining KD and Kyrie would be the best, you know, choice, the best option for him, but it hasn't worked out. So, I ultimately think that it is going to be the last year because Harden's a free agent at the end of the season. And I think he's going to go to wherever he feels he can win a title best. So, and as of right now, I don't think it's Brooklyn because um, from the looks of it, the coronavirus isn't going anywhere. New York's staying ground on their um, COVID-19 policies. And Kyrie has already said that he's not going to get vaccinated. So, I think that this is his last. This is the last year that these three will be together. And um, honestly, I don't know how this will look on KD's part because um, I don't know if you paid attention, but him and Stephen A have been going at it back and forth because Stephen A said that if he, if they don't, if the Nets don't win a chip this year, people are going to start to look at Kevin Durant as 
oh, you left to go, you left Curry, and you left Curry and the chance of possibly going win more rings to go team up with Kyrie in Brooklyn, and it didn't work out. So now that's kind of like a bad image on him, which I believe is the case. But um, at the end of the day, I just think that this is going to be the last season for those three because it just hasn't worked out in the two years that they've had together. Yeah, um, I haven't. I hadn't seen the uh, back and forth between Stephen A. and Kevin Durant, but I have uh, just been keeping in t- uh, keeping up on up to date on news about uh, Harden Harden situation, and I heard that the Seventy Sixers were. Uh, interested in James Harden but the Brooklyn Nets dismissed that that's that's apparently false uh but I just think I don't know I really think this is gonna look bad on all three of their careers I mean in a situation where talent of this caliber comes together on one team if you're gonna do that you know you're already gonna be ridiculed by the league because it's like y'all building a super team. We know how the league, we know how fans of the league feel about super teams. So if you're gonna do it, you at least need to get what you came there for. If you if y'all came there to win a ring or multiple rings, at least get one because it's gonna look bad. And then not only does it look bad for the players, but it looks bad for the organization because they gave up some pretty promising pieces as well in in my opinion was a better actual team for uh more superstars and so i think that the organization doesn't want to be wrong and the players don't want to look like they were wrong and what they were doing so i think you just have to i think you just have to look at it again and i I feel bad for katie because now it's gonna look like you know he can't win it on his own but i don't think i hope people don't blame him for that because this situation he could not have predicted I mean, you have one player who's not uh, going to get the vaccine and, you, you know, he doesn't play every game. And then you got another player who's not really happy and he's not the same player that he once was. So I don't think this is on KD, but I don't know. I just think I agree with you. I think this is it. Yeah, for sure. I think this is the last year. But um, no matter what, I think that the Nets will figure it out and kind of the same aspect that the Lakers are going to figure it out. Um, I just believe that there's too much talent on the Nets. Um, you know, KD's hurt right now. So I think once he gets back and he gets back into the group of things and, um, you know, him and him, Harden and Kyrie have more games under their belt because Kyrie is still able to play on road games. I think that once they, they have more experience of them three playing together under their belt, that they will be fine. Just like I think the Lakers will be fine once they get healthy. You know, AD's on a rampage right now. LeBron's back healthy. So I think that the Nets and and the Lakers are in similar situations. But I do think ultimately um, if the Nets don't make the finals this year or if, you know, they don't win a championship, then this is going to be the last season for the the big three in Brooklyn. Yeah, and – just to pivot a little bit, um, I know this wasn't one of our topics, but it's kind of uh, similar in, in which, like like you were saying, the Lakers having their problems. And I feel like we've seen our first uh, kind of statement from LeBron on kind of how he feels about how Russ has been playing. He said that, you know, that he needs to be more sure of himself while he's playing. I mean, do you agree with that statement or do you think that uh, maybe there's a, a bigger problem like his lack? 
his lack of a role, what do you think the real problem is? Honestly, I think it can be a little, I think it can be, you know, a little of the both. Because you did say that Brian said that Russ needs to be more sure of himself while playing. That's correct? Yes, that's, that's what he said. He said, like, he needs to be more confident in himself, basically. I think it can be a little bit of both. I think that um the reason I think um Russ not having confidence in himself to, you know, feel like he's a part of the team. I think that is kind of the reason why he doesn't have a role on the team because he lacks confidence, you know? And so I think those two go hand in hand with each other. And um, I honestly think that Brian's not wrong. Russ does have to play with a little more confidence. I think that a lot of times he shies away from doing what he he's accustomed to doing because he ain't trying to make the bad play or he's not trying to have it all fall back on him. So he's kind of playing, you know, uncharacteristically, uh, you know, from the way that we've been accustomed to him uh, playing. But I think that ultimately they will get it fixed out. I mean, they will get it fixed and they will figure it out just because there's too much talent on that team for them not to get get it fixed out and sorted out too much IQ on that team. For it not to get sorted out, I just think that once Russ learns his role within the team, that um, we'll be much better off than what we are. Yeah, and to give you the full quote of what he basically said, he he said after the win that they had against the Knicks, which was like kind of a grinded out game uh, when Russ didn't play that well, uh, he was kind of defending Russ. He said, I told him to keep going, uh, stop second-guessing himself. He's an instinctive player, and with what he's done in this league, he should never second-guess himself. I have the utmost confidence in his ability. And I feel like it's important for him to say things like he has confidence in his ability because I feel like uh, a lot of times when, you know, a player is playing bad, you know, if their best player has confidence in them, it, it could – you know, fuel them again. So I hope that Russ kind of gets it together because, I mean, I would love to see them make a, a deep run. I mean, I feel like last year's playoffs with LeBron just getting out of the playoffs uh, quicker than he ever has. I don't, I don't think it's good for the league. So I hope they can get things together and Russ will play a big part in that. Yeah, for sure. I think that these teams will get it together. There's still a lot of basketball left to play. I just think that um, it's just going to take some um, figuring out to do it. It's not going to happen overnight. They're going to have to figure this kind of stuff out. But I ultimately think that, you know, they'll get it together for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So – after this break, we're going to come up, come back to wrap it up and give y'all our black spotlights for the week. Y'all stay tuned and thank y'all for listening. So welcome back to the Welcome to the World of Sports podcast. So as we usually do every week, we're about to go into our black spotlight segment in which we pick uh, just a notable black person or celebrity, sports player, or anything that just we would like to recognize. Uh, and so, since it's Black History Month, this is there's no more fitting time than the present. <laughs> so, for this week, I've decided to choose Oprah Winfrey. Uh, Oprah Winfrey is a media mogul who helmed one of the most popular TV shows in U.S. history. 
She used her platform to do everything from launching her own production company, Harpo, which is her name spelled backwards, uh, to starting a school for girls in Africa. Uh, Whitney is the first black woman billionaire with deep attention paid to strategic financial partnerships and enterprises. Her immense uh, monetary wealth aside, Winfrey has spent her career fostering creative projects that have elevated her standing as an American icon among fans. And so just a list of some of her uh, accolades and accomplishments. Uh, she's won Emmy Awards, NAACP Image Awards, and People's Choice Awards. Um, in her role in 1986 uh, in The Color Purple, she won uh, the Golden Globe Award. And uh, those are just a couple just to name, but, you know, Oprah Winfrey is well known across the black community and we all appreciate what she's done for us and for the world. So that's my black spotlight. And now on to you. All righty. All righty. So I'm going to kick off, you know, Black History Month by starting by uh, with a story that's close to, to home for me. Um so, Tibbetto, Louisiana native Carl Johnson was selected to work um, the Super Bowl as a referee. Um, NFL official Carl Johnson, is he's going to be working the Super Bowl for a third time. He's a Tibbetto, Louisiana native who um, he was selected to be work as a line judge, I mean, a line judge for this upcoming Super Bowl in Inglewood, California. Um he will he will join the crew headed by Ron uh referee Ron Torbett um, among with some others. Um Johnson has been an NFL um officiating veteran for uh twenty plus years. He's worked two Super Bowls during his career. His first one came in two thousand eight as a line judge in Super Bowl um I wanna say Super Bowl 33 i mean 32 against the new england patriots and the new york giants and his second one came in super bowl um i want to say 54 but against the kansas city chiefs and san francisco 49ers in 2020 he was also an alternate for super bowl 31 between the indianapolis Colts and the chicago bears uh, he's regarded as one of the top NFL officials, and he served as the vice president of officiating from 2010 to 2012. In 2013, he returned to on-field officiating work and became the league's first full-time on-field official. He has worked as an official for ne- nearly four decades. He started his career calling local recreation games before moving up the ranks to prep football the Southland Conference, the Big 12 Conference USA, and NFL Europe before making his way up to the NFL. So congratulations, Carl Johnson, for being selected to work as an NFL line judge for Super Bowl 56. Man, what, an, what an accomplishment that is. I mean, Yeah, for sure. For see, sure. Uh, I mean, we see a good amount, but, I mean, it's just always good to have, to see black people doing good things and, you know, making big uh, strides towards the things that we all want. So I'm happy for him. Yeah, for sure. So I just want to say thank you to all our listeners out there for supporting the Welcome to the World of Sports podcast. Until next week, I'm your boy, John. And for my co-host, Braxton Brown, thank you so much. 
And we'll be back next week with another banger. Thank y'all. We'll be right back.